I V M. Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your Habit Coach, and today I have the pleasure of hosting Kumar Bagrodia, neuroscientist and the founder of NeuroLeap and Arkini Photo Bio Life. Get ready to deep dive into the workings of our brain, unravel the secrets of conscious and unconscious thinking, the intriguing connection between our brains and the gut, and the importance of sleep. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Kumar. Kumar, welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Same here. Um, you know, I had no idea what you did till you invited me for, uh, uh, you know, a session that we were doing uh, for your company. And when you told me of one of your products, I think it must have been the fastest sale that you ever made because <laughs> I was like, wow, this makes so much sense. I want it immediately. So that's where we started talking. Kumar, you're a neuroscientist, right? What is the whole role of the brain? Can you just explain to us like what is happening here? Yeah. Um, you know, I often get asked, uh, you know, how much percent of the brain am I using, mm. right? Am I using more than 10% winning? That is the first myth. We are pretty much using all of our brain, mm. right? Not every part in the same measure, but most of it is being used. So one shouldn't think that uh, I need to do certain things to utilize a larger part of the brain. That's incorrect. What is the brain really? The brain is really a bunch of neurons connected to each other. Um, so when I say a bunch, the the range is from maybe 86 billion to 100 billion neurons. Nobody's bunch. actually, yeah. <laughs> so nobody's actually counted it, hmm. right? But that's the estimate. So let's say 100 billion neurons. And you have big brains and you have small brains and yes, they make a big difference? Yes. So that's your reserve. You know, that's the amount of matter you have, the amount of processing power you have. But uh, the number of neurons is not where the magic is. Each of our 100 billion neurons is connected to other 10,000. So you've got 1,000 trillion connections in the brain. Ah. And these connections are constantly firing. They are generating bioelectricity. Our entire body runs on bioelectrical energy, right? Each cell, you know, electricity keeps us alive, you know, how is your brain functioning? How is it signaling various parts of your body, your nervous system, your heart, digestion, thinking, behavior, you nodding, me nodding, everything is on electricity. It's on electrical impulses. The brain is the biggest consumer of energy in the entire body. So if you've had, let's say, a 1500 calorie meal throughout the day, your brain has consumed 500 calories. Wow. Why is it consuming so much? Because your brain is like a decision-making engine. That's all it does. It's constantly making decisions. Now, what we think of decision-making is, oh, do I need to buy or sell this stock? Do I need to, you know, take this meeting in a certain way? Those are the larger conscious decisions. 95 to 99% of your mental activity is actually part of your subconscious, which mm. means you're not even aware of it. 95%? I would say up to 99%. Wow. Now, let me give you a few examples there because this is crucial for anybody wanting to enhance themselves. This, this is an amazing concept. Do you play any sport, Ashton? Table tennis. Lovely. Tell me when you're serving, you know, and you've been playing for a few years, do you still mindfully 
consciously say, okay, now I'm going to toss the ball up with my left hand and it'll come down and at this height, I will move my right hand and slice it. Do you make that whole conscious decisions? Almost zero. It's all about like what the other person is going to be doing, right? The thought process has changed. Exactly. So all throughout the last maybe decade or so, we have been hammered with this concept of being mindful, being conscious. Whereas our entire neuroanatomy is the opposite. Mm. It's making things part of the subconscious so that your consciousness is free. It's available to be in that moment, be in that present and make those decisions. Let me give you another example. So let's say you've got, you know, one of the world's top cricketers, right? He's batting. And a ball is coming at what? 100 kilometers per hour, let's say 120, 140 kilometers per hour. How much time does the batsman have between the ball leaving the bowler's fingers and making contact with the bat? Seconds. Seconds, yeah. Do you think that much time is enough for a batsman to say, now I will take one leg forward, one leg back, twist my waist, you know, get my ankle this way, get my wrist this way, lift the bat up. He's bowled out by then, right? That's the reason why they practice for six to eight, ten hours, the same shot every day for days, months to make it part of their subconscious, mm. the pattern, right? So you can call it muscle memory, whatever you want. But basically it is freeing up your consciousness so that in the match, he's only concerned about things which are important in that moment. So what is the fielder placement? He's blocking out all the cheering or the booing, all the sledging. And he has to figure out what he wants to do. And the blocking out is also a conscious decision? Yeah. So which is why you keep practicing it so that load on the consciousness is lower. Mm. Which is why we say, oh, this person is See, a experienced player. Mm. What is experience? Experience is that the same thing was part of your consciousness. You overcame it, you did it right, or you made mistakes, but you learned and it became part of your subconscious. Correct. Driving a car. You know, if, you, if you've got a brake right now and suddenly you say, okay, now I was taught to get my foot off the accelerator, move it a little, then go to the brake by the time you've banged the car. Correct. Right? So it all has to become part of your subconscious. We are beings which only rely on our subconscious by and large. Most of our decisions are pre-made. Let me give you another example. You would have often heard in the stock markets and a lot of my clients who, who trade, invest, or who are portfolio managers, you know, investment officers, they'll all say, oh, markets operate on greed and fear, right? So when the markets are falling, you're fearful and you'll sell. When markets are rising, you're greedy and you'll keep buying or won't sell, right? What are greed and fear? They are not conscious emotions. They are part of your subconscious, right? We'll say, hey, this fellow is very greedy, mm. So greedy is part of his subconscious pattern. That's right. how he operates. If you're able to use technology to understand that pattern and get it to a point where you can say, hey, let me not be greedy. Let me not act in fear. Let me not be fearful. Right? That's when you can start making better decisions. Mm. Right? Let me take a step back. 
you know, when we talk about the subconscious, one of the things we must realize that ever too often we've been told that, you know, if you're mindful, you'll be able to do this better. So mindfulness is important when you're making an intervention, when you want to make a change, when you want to change the subconscious pattern, right? So for example, a lot of us, because of using laptop computers or mobile phones, we probably to hunt a little bit more than our predecessors, mm -hmm. right? So if somebody wants to make that change, he or she will have someone who will point out so that they become mindful and say, okay, I'll, you know, I'll sit up straight. Right. But can you be mindful all the time and say, hey, am I sitting straight? Am I sitting straight? Am I sitting straight? Mm -hmm. Then you won't be able to uh, you know, concentrate on anything else in that moment. Correct. So mindfulness is important only when you want to make an intervention. And the purpose of an intervention, purpose of learning is to actually take that skill or tacit knowledge or that new ability and pass it on to the subconscious. Amazing. So everything that we're doing is hopefully trying to put in the subconscious so that you don't use your processing power. Yeah. Um, I'll give you two data points. Your brain is taking in about 11 million bits per second. 11 Mbps. Wow. And it's processing it. Mm. Your conscious mind is only processing 50 bits per second. Mm. So the rest is filtered out. The rest is all by the subconscious. Right? But it's taken in and dumped or it's taken in and, and analyzed? Processed. It's processed. So uh, why is the brain consuming one third of your energy? Mm. Because those 100 billion neurons raised to the power of 10,000 connections are constantly firing. Mm. There's constant information exchange going on, bioelectricity. And all of that information exchange, all of that bioelectricity, which we read as brain waves, is expending energy. Mm. So that's why, you know, you feel hungry or tired even after sitting for four hours working, but you've not physically moved. moved. But why are you tired? Mm. You know, that's the distinction between the brain and the mind. The so mind overthinkers is... lose weight faster. <laughs> hey, I know people are going to be like, okay, I'm going to start overthinking now. I can lose 500 kilos <laughs> calories immediately. <laughs> so on the energy, let me tell you, since you brought about weight, you know, let's talk about mitochondria. Hmm. Mitochondria are the powerhouse of your body. Each cell in our body has a mitochondria or many mitochondria. And what do mitochondria do? Their primary role is to generate ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which in a way is called the cellular currency, the energy currency of the body. Right, like the dollar of your yeah, body. Yeah, so, so think about it. How does your body run? It needs energy and the ATP is the energy currency. It what keeps everything going. Correct. All your biological processes, all your thinking processes, everything requires ATP. Now, our body has been made so intelligently, the parts of your body which require more energy, only those cells have more mitochondria per cell. So the skin has very little mitochondria. It doesn't need to do much. Each cell in your liver has a few thousand mitochondria. The heart has maybe 5,000 mitochondria per cell, right? So we think the heart is constantly working, the most hardworking organ, hmm. right? 5,000 mitochondria per cell. That's a lot. How many do you think the brain has? Each neuron. Mm. So I said there are 100 billion neurons. Yeah. 
each of those 100 billion neurons, how many mitochondria would they have? Double of the heart? How, how many? Two million. Two million mitochondria? Per neuron. Wow. So, 100 billion hmm. into two million. Right. That is the number of mitochondria in your brain. And they are constantly generating ATP. Constantly generating nitric oxide. Constantly going after oxygenation. Right? Why? Because of what we discussed. It's constantly taking in data. How do we process color? The brain is processing color, not the eye. Hmm. Right? Sounds. Recognizing faces. Recognizing emotions. Recognizing people's voices, right? So you would have noticed, for example, if you if you go to a noisy mall, hmm. right? You get tired faster. You get tired faster, why? Right? Because your brain is processing all the audiovisual information. It's blocking it out. It's getting overwhelmed with all that sensory input. Hmm. But your consciousness is still on a high. You're like, hey, I want to go out and eat this, and you know the sights, the smells, all of that stuff. Nice jacket in the window. Exactly, Mm -hmm. right? And after a certain amount of time, even that window shopping is tiring. Like, oh my God, I'm done. But what have you done? You've just probably walked half a kilometer within the mall. Why are you so tired, right? Why are you so tired at the end of a working day when you've been sitting on your chair for all the time? Correct. So all of these reasons. So the mitochondria, Mm. I mean, I would even go to the extent of saying that the primary role of breathing hmm. is really to provide oxygen to the mitochondria. Hmm. The primary role of eating is to provide glucose to the mitochondria. That's how important it is. Right. right. In fact, I have heard so many podcasts where people have said that we are basically the machines of the mitochondria. Right? Like we are living for them primarily. And, and, and they're living fact, for us. And they're living for us. Right? The best symbiotic relationship that exists. Absolutely. On a little twist of a question, you know, I've heard so many people say like, you know, the gut is the second brain. From a neuroscience perspective, and they say that, you know, there are more neurons in the gut than in the brain and all those kinds of things. From neuroscientists, what are your thoughts when yeah. you hear that? No, there are uh, neurons in the gut, but definitely not as many in the brain. Mm. Right? Nowhere close. Mm. But uh, there is a gut-brain connection, a gut-brain axis. Of course. Um, symptomatically, we've all been noticing it. We just don't realize it, you know. So in school days, just before exams, you're getting butterflies in the stomach, hmm. right? What is that? Yeah. That's the anxiety in your brain playing up in the gut, right? Or some kids will throw up, right? Some will start getting loose motions or whatever, right? Um, that is an evidence of the gut-brain connection. If you look at uh, Vedic wisdom, they will talk about how most diseases start in the gut and there is some merit to it. So if you take care of your gut, your brain will be healthier. That's for sure. So as a neuroscientist, would you now start saying that the person who's looking at the brain primarily, that we should be looking at the gut and the brain together now as one unit or that's a separate way of You can't really look at it as a unit, Hmm. but you can certainly look at the connectivity Hmm. and be cognizant of the fact that you will not be able to treat the brain by itself. Hmm. If the gut is unhealthy. Okay. Right. Um, And vice versa. If you want to ensure that you have a healthy gut, Mm. then please look at your mental health. Mm. Right. So you will find that uh, people who have, let's say, irritable bowel syndrome or chronic constipation or any issues with the gut, they will have certain issues with mental health or, you know, I don't mean to say they're, they've got disorders, but maybe they are chronically going through phases of being angry or sad 
or overthinking or the sleep is not proper, where the gut-brain connection has ensured that those symptoms have got transferred to the gut. Correct. So if you alleviate the symptoms at the mental level mm. or at the brain level, then the nervous system takes care of the gut as well. Automatically starts yes. taking care of it. Fantastic. So we've discussed the brain and the importance of the mitochondria in it, right? What are things that we can do now to understand what's happening inside our brain? And what are things that we can do to start improving our brain capacity? What are some habits that we can start following? I mean, you know, the habits are actually fairly simple. You know, I would say the number one superpower habit is sleep. Um, almost everyone comes to me and says, hey, doc, you know, I'm sleeping eight hours. And I said, no, eight hours is not the point. What time do you go to bed, mm. right? So are you going to bed closer to the circadian rhythm uh, where your body is actually able to rest and your brain and nervous system is able to rest and repair all of the damage done through the day? So now when I say damage done through the day, so when your brain is processing data, it's also going through wear and tear. And the wear and tear is happening because of the mitochondria as well. Mm. Right, because it's constantly working. So if you sleep at the right time, the cerebrospinal fluid does its job better and you get six to eight hours of sleep and you're pretty okay. Mm. So sleep is number one. The second is exercise, mobility, breath work. And, and the verdict is out there whether you should be lifting weights, whether you should be running, whether you should be doing yoga. Um, my suggestion is do whatever works for you, but just make sure you get enough exercise, get enough movement for various reasons. One is oxygenation. So there are only two sources of food and energy for the brain yeah. and, you know, for your mitochondria. One is oxygen and second is glucose. Glucose is usually not a problem. We are all eating <laughs> we have lots of sugar. We comes have lots in. of sugar and right. lots of, you know, carbs, etc. and all of the good food. Um, oxygenation can be a problem. Right. So not just your regular breathing, but good, deep breathing, wholesome breathing. Do you have any techniques that you teach people? Do you like teach Wim Hof breathing? Do you teach any of those formats? Honestly, I usually go to old Vedic wisdom. Hmm. So you do the basic deep breathing and pranayama. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, our body is complex, but also it's very simple. Right. Right. The more you complicate it with these, you know, fancy methods, fancy fad words, you know, it starts going for a toss. Go so back to keep, basics. Yeah, just go back to basics. Just do slow, deep breathing. You'll be fine. Hmm. And we've been seeing it for thousands and thousands of clients of ours. Hmm. Right? So, and, and the third thing I would say is just your diet and your gut health. Hmm. Right? Um, we spoke about the gut-brain connection. But having a good nutritious diet, and it's not about focusing on certain vitamins alone, but having a well-rounded meal a few times a day hmm. and at the right time is important. Fatty foods make a difference. You know, we were going through this whole low-fat diet, funda. Were you seeing a drop in people's brain capacities because of it? Does it make a difference? You know, 60% um, of our brain is made up of fat. Right. And a large part of the cholesterol in our body is actually stored in our brain. Correct. It needs that. So a low-fat diet actually is very counterintuitive to a healthy brain. Mm. If you see the incidence of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's in India has only risen in the last two decades. And those two decades came after maybe 20 years of us going down the Western path of cutting down on fat. Correct. 
traditionally the Indian society has been big consumers of fat. Ghee and everything, butter and everything. Ghee, butter, coconut oil, sarson ka tel, whatever you want. Correct. Right? And uh, there is now a lot of evidence that good fats are actually very, very important for you. Correct. Right? So I'm not a big proponent of cutting down fat and focusing only on protein with low carbs. I, I think that's uh, that's asking for trouble. Right, absolutely. You need the good fats in your body. Yes. And not to fear the cholesterol. That's what your brain's made up of. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Amazing. Kumar, where can people find you, uh, interact with you, have these discussions or take this, uh, what they've learned from this podcast forward? So as you said in the beginning, we, I run two organizations. One is NeuroLeap. So my website's uh, neuroleap.science. And the second one for Arkani is arkaniphotobio.life. Please give us a shout. Happy to help you understand your brain better or help you, you know, power up your body with more uh, cellular energy. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, I want you to do two things. Share it with three people. One, and make sure that you're subscribed. We also have a YouTube channel called The Habit Coach Awesome 180. You can check out snippets there. You can also follow IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And if you want to follow me, I am at Ashton Doc on Twitter, Instagram and everywhere else. You can also explore my books, One Habit a Day, The Book of Good Habits for Kids and Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. Or if you prefer online courses, they're all available on my website. I am Ashton Doctor, your habit coach.